Hello, dear listener, and welcome to yet another episode of The Emporium. You are here with me, Thomas Frank, and my dear co-host, Martin Bamey. What's going on, my friend? Well, I'm recording this podcast. It's uh, snowing outside. That's pretty cool. It is snowing outside. I'm betting you're happy about that. I am happy about that. You seem happy about adverse weather all the time. That's because gray, cloudy, cold weather is good. I disagree. You heard it here first. But that's why I moved to Colorado. It's my cold take. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, day. the snow can stay in the mountains where I can ski on it and then not be down here. Though, had my first, well, I don't know if I would call this my first in like sports injury, but first one in a long, long time. I went snowboarding over the weekend and uh, caught an edge, flipped over and sprained my shoulder. So It had to happen eventually. That's true. It did have to happen eventually. I do a lot of stupid stuff. And by stupid, I mean risky yet calculated sport things. But at some point, it's going to happen. Luckily, it's not too bad. Uh, When it happened, I was worried it was a torn rotator cuff, but I went to the urgent care and the lady said, probably isn't that because if it was, we'd have you do these exercises and your arm would just drop. Yeah, that's, that's good. Involuntarily. Yeah, and three days later, like, it's, I would say there's discomfort moving it in certain ways, which is why I'm trying to minimize it for now, uh, and but not so much pain. So, I'm doing what they tell me to do, icing it, keeping it, you know, not so mobile, and then going to at least a couple of physical therapy sessions in a week or two to rehabilitate it. Yep, probably a good idea. It be that way sometimes. Anyway, we got to do some project checking before we get into the topic of this week's episode, which is going to revolve around critical thinking. I actually, I think you sort of took this from a video idea that I had written down called Sloppy Research and Self-Help Books. It's true. I'm not ready to make that video yet, but I do think we can talk about what I had written and some of the conclusions I came to, and we can have a discussion around critical thinking because I do think there's a lack of it. Uh, especially on social media where people seem to draw conclusions about anything they see based on solely the title and nothing else. (laughs) So that'll be a fun discussion, but I would like to know what have you been doing in the last two weeks? My friend, I saw you posted a little song video thing. Was that in the last two weeks? Cause I don't even remember. I think it was, uh, if time is an illusion, then yes. Cool song thing with a video of falling snow and uh, a little song that I wrote in like five or six hours on a Sunday to go with it. It's part of a new project I want to try where I sort of want to tap in naturally to how I enjoy playing music, which is to go improvise new melodies every time I sit down at the piano. Mm-hmm. And if I do something like this, where it's just little short sort of sort of feelings, maybe it's just like having a two or three minute sort of a vibe as the song, that means that I can take those little improvised melodies, do a little bit with them, make a song out of it, and move on, which is, I think, the way that I'm going to enjoy making music. It Mm. taps into how I naturally play, rather than trying to force how I play to fit the kind of output I think people might expect of me. Yeah. I'm a little bit on the other side of the coin with that, because I, I tend to play the exact same way you do. I'll come up with like a vibe, maybe just like something that fits into one chord sequence and i really want to learn how to seamlessly go to the next section of a song 
that's I found something that takes a little bit of uh, of learning to kind of pick up on. Because I'll just do the same chord sequence. My last song was the exact same two chords for five minutes. And mm. in the production, I was able to add some embellishments, add some things that sort of give it a feeling of moving through different sections. But it really isn't. So on the next one I do, I would like to have, I don't know, maybe stitch together three or four of the kind of things that you're doing. But then figure out, like, how do I actually stitch them together and make them cohesive? Yeah, that's fair. And it makes a lot of sense for what you're doing with music. But mm-hmm. I've been listening to almost almost exclusively just sort of instrumental piano or jazz or lo-fi or video game music. Stuff that I just put on mm-hmm. in the background and sort of maintains its energy for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the more creative part that's a challenge for me is that I want to mix piano with synthesizer and chip tunes and video game-esque things. Yeah. So it makes sense for me to be going at it from a short project and move on sort of thing. Yep. Yeah. For those genres, I think it definitely makes sense to go along in that style. Uh, for what I want to do is more like along the lines of normal song structure. So yeah. different goals. Um, and what, anything else? Yeah. I suppose I I have some new pixel art that I'll probably finish by tomorrow as of recording this. I've started talking to people officially that I've sort of started the official moving process. That's Mm -hmm. pretty cool. And by the time anyone hears this, I will have wandered this plane for three decades. So that's a cool project I've been working on called Staying Alive That Long. (laughs) Your birthday is tomorrow. It's true. Yeah, mine's what, six months from now? So basically yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Are we going to have a, a giant Zoom party? I don't know. Honestly, I didn't plan anything. I usually don't do anything for my birthday. That's fair. One of my favorite episodes of Parks and Rec is the the one where Ron is like so scared that Leslie's going to throw him a huge party for his birthday. And then his party is just, he gets to sit alone and eat a steak and watch old war movies and drink whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody has something different they want to do on their birthday. Well, uh, other than getting injured, I have been a pretty busy beaver during the last couple of weeks. So last time we did project check-in, I had said the basement studio was coming along, the carpet was installed, and the next thing we had to do was get the paint on the walls. Uh, For anybody who's watching this on the YouTube side, you can see that some of the walls are still white behind me, but we do have three beautiful dark 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 blue walls over there and we have been able to put them to use on the ipad pro video that will be out by the time this podcast goes live so we are making progress uh you know spraining my shoulder is not really the most conducive thing to painting especially reaching up high but i didn't even think (laughs) about that but i'm gonna manage um but yeah we've got three walls done and I'm a little stalled on certain sections of the basement because I now need to figure out how to run Ethernet cable. And I'm still kind of committing to learning how to do all this stuff myself because it's a lot of fun and I like learning things. But this is much more complex than painting. So I'm currently just watching a bunch of videos, trying to figure out what the heck do I do? How do I not drill into a pipe on accident? All that, that stuff. Is, that is something that you need to not do a second time. Yeah, I did that once already. And I still contend that there was no way I would have been able to know that the pipe was there. That actually makes me want to... Uh, I got this thing called... like a. It's called a hole dozer. It's a kit of little drill bits that 
are basically like a circle saw. So it cuts a literal hole in your drywall instead of drilling with like a drill bit. And that experience of having water shoot out of my wall makes me want to cut all my holes with one of those from now on because it's almost certain that I'm not going to drill through a pipe with that thing. You just kind of yeah. drill through the layer of drywall and that's it. But I don't know. We'll see. And then you'd be able to see you know, pretty easily. But if I have to hang something or mount a screw, I'm still going to have to just hope there's not another freaking pipe in the wall. Um, I mean, so there's an easy way I could do this. I could literally measure the drywall or measure the, the studs on both floors. I could drill a hole down through the floor in the wall. I could snake a cable and I could just call it good and then just plug Ethernet into that jack downstairs and have it snaking all over the floors wherever I want. But that's not the legit way to do it. What I would really like to learn how to do, if if it's like at all feasible, and it's hard in a finished house, but if it's all, at all feasible, I would love to be able to run cable to like where you would naturally want it, where you'd naturally want jacks. So, you know, at least a couple down here in the basement. We're going to see how doable that is. It's way doable. Yeah, it's way, way easier if you're doing it before the house is built because then you don't have to drywall there. So you can just either drill holes in your studs and run cable that way or you can run it above. Uh, And then there's a ton of things to consider that I didn't really know about. Like you're not supposed to run Ethernet next to power cables, like electrical cables. In fact, there's something called like, I forget the term. I think it was like electrical induction or something. But if you run an Ethernet cable too close to a high voltage electrical cable, that voltage can like jump into the Ethernet cable and potentially fry a device that you plug it into. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so not, there's, not a good idea. Yeah, probably not. So there's all these codes. Like if you're if it's unshielded, it needs to be a certain amount of inches from any um, any parallel electrical cable runs. You can cross it at a 90 degree angle all you want, but if it's running parallel, it needs to be distanced somewhat. So that's going to add some wrinkles into the project. Basically, I'm going back to my original career plan, which was to be a network architect, except for I only have to do it once. That's probably better suited to you to do it mm -hmm. one time. But yeah, it's coming along. Uh, the, The nice thing is that even though it's not done, the basement is now usable as studio space. I filmed a bunch of B-roll down here. I filmed A-roll down here. Like, we can use it. So that's pretty nice because it keeps us out of the editing room and gives me more space to work with. Yeah, yeah. especially once the paint dries and you don't have the fumes. Uh, Well, I mean, we just paint with a window open. So I didn't even I realize there was noticed. a window down there. Actually, yeah, so, there are. Um, so that, okay, that makes it four. helpful. That's, yeah, that's there better. are three egress windows and then one small window. There's actually a decent amount of natural light down here during the day. Like nothing on the level that you'd have on the first floor or second floor, but it's not yeah. like a super dark, dank basement. When there's sunlight outside, it's actually kind of nice and airy down here. I don't know if That's bright cool. is the word, but I don't think it's going to make the dark paint create like this dark feel to the house or to the, to the basement. Uh, beyond that, I I put out I finally put out my Skillshare video, and yeah. that video like I'm I'm just so happy with how it turned out. I'm super happy with how it turned out. I wanted to do a video on creativity, and it was gonna be a video covering three different w- rules to becoming a more creative person. 
And I wanted to cover it because when I was growing up, I felt like I wasn't a very creative person. And I've since learned that I don't think anybody is straight up a not creative person. It's just that a lot of people don't do the things that allow them to naturally be more creative. And I was writing and doing all this research and I ended up realizing like just what I had written on one rule exploration was enough for one video. So I turned that into a video, launched it, was really happy with it. Uh, and I was a little bit bummed for a bit cause it was like nine out of 10 out of all the videos I had, uh, last 10 videos I put out and I'm like, why isn't this doing well? And then I changed it to the title that Anna had suggested and it went up to three out of 10. So you really gotta, you really gotta have the right titles. They gotta be relatable to people. Yeah. I mean, it, like it's crazy how big of a difference everything. that is. I was, uh, there was a podcast that came out between MKBHD and Mr. Beast who are two YouTubers in case you're not aware. I know you don't watch I've a heard, lot of YouTube. I've heard the names. <laughs> uh, so they were talking about like, how they design thumbnails, whether they change titles, all kinds of stuff. And uh, Mr. Beast was saying like, he literally just comes up with the title and thumbnail before they make the video. That's basically how they make the video is like make a video to fit what we've created mm -hmm. here for the title thumbnail combo. And I mean, it makes sense. Because people, they go onto YouTube, there's dozens and dozens of videos all vying for your attention. I guess it kind of makes sense to first nail the thing people are going to click on and then create something that, you know, pays off that click. But uh, he was also saying he does a lot of title changing. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to try to change titles. If I did the wrong title at first, let's just jettison it and try something else. Uh, but what I have realized for probably the 10th time is because Anna isn't so in it, like she's not the video creator with her head lost in the project. I think she actually has a better perspective on what is going to be a better title than I do. Yeah, this, this is about the 10th time. And also because <laughs> you're exactly the kind of person to get super into something that's like really obscure, like the, the, the major number system thing. And, and, and you're like, this is the coolest thing ever. And, Yep. We're just like, I don't even, what would I, what would I do with that? It is cool, but what would I do with that exactly? And it's like, you're yeah. too excited about it to detach enough to think of what title at the time. So a friend of mine did that video correctly. And I'm, I'm have forever kicked myself for not doing that video correctly. And you know what? We should probably just redo it at some point. The only thing you would really care about for like for with a system for memorizing long numbers is memorizing pi to a zillion digits and people yeah. don't really care about that for practical reasons but it is like a, a party trick it's like a meme kind of thing so my friend mike boyd did a video on memorizing the, i think it was the first hundred digits of pi and that video did super well and meanwhile i'm like i'm gonna memorize this random string of numbers which nobody has any attachment to there's no reason to memorize it i'm not talking about memorizing phone numbers it's just random numbers so yeah, I, I have since learned that uh, just because something is interesting to me as a creator, it doesn't mean that it's at all marketable. And, you know, if you're going to build a sustainable business on YouTube, you have to sort of consider both angles there. You can't just do yeah. literally what you want because like, you got to kind of make it for you so that you're passionate about it, but you also have to not make it for you at the same time. Yep. Yeah. And honestly, I don't like, I don't feel like a sellout saying that. Because like if you're running a full-time YouTube channel, you're running something to entertain or educate other people. 
it's not just a personal art project, especially if you're running as a business, especially if you have other people who are relying on you for their paycheck. Like it's not just your art project anymore. Yeah. So I've been thinking about that a lot today. In fact, what I spent pretty much my entire day up until this point doing was watching and analyzing really successful videos just to see like, what, what can we do to push ours forward? You know, am I too long winded in the intro? Are we not maintaining attention all the way throughout? Are we covering things that would be much better covered as like a, you know, addendum blog post or something like that? So I want to try to implement what I learn into our writing process going forward. And we have a meeting on Friday to talk about that. Yeah, that's because we're super productive and responsible. It's a good year. Super productive, super responsible. I'm all grown up now. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So yeah, why don't we just get into the critical thinking bit? Unless you have more projects to update me on. I I don't know yet. I'm going to try something. We'll oh, wait, wait. Before we do that, uh, what are we doing over the next two weeks? What is the next two weeks? Right? What's we should day? be clear on it. Well, today is the 26th. Your birthday's tomorrow. Congratulations. You're almost an old man. Uh, I guess I'm buying a cane. I've been an old man for years. Uh, I, is the, Do you know the answer to this question? Is there something that I am doing over the next two weeks that I'm forgetting? Or is that well, I just want question? I just want to hear what your plan is for the next two weeks. So when we check oh, in on the so next like episode. So like a pre-project. Check, it's like a, yeah. so like, okay. I, I was I was really worried I was forgetting something that was no, important. No, you're not forgetting something. Um, this podcast is basically like a mastermind call we do every two weeks that's at this true. point. That is very true. Let's see. So um, why don't we use it as such? I'm thinking... That I want to have, so I'm going to have that extra pixel art out. I am trying today, probably, to film my first segment of me talking in a video. Not for me, for uh, potentially one of Tony's things, if what I record, if, if it works out, I need to see if my equipment okay. is set up for it. So but this that'll be the first like time I've tried that. To prove the idea yeah, of it'll be a tale. It'll be a bonus video test that I didn't know was coming. Okay. And I'm going to be sort of sorting through and organizing a bit more of my house. And I imagine in the next two weeks, I'm probably going to be talking to someone again about the moving process because within the next two weeks, the dates that I'm looking at start to open up. And really? when it comes to being the kind of person, or when it comes to this kind of stuff, I'm the kind of person who wants all of every single one of those adorable little fuzzy ducks in a row, like six months beforehand, because I yeah. don't like the stress of figuring it out last minute, especially moving like across the country. It's a big deal. You mm-hmm. need to be organized. Well, or luckily else my stuff's a nothing. billion miles away. Yeah. Luckily it will be fairly simple to sort through that, mm-hmm. but the paperwork and all that stuff and, and making sure and, I need to, you know, proof of income. All, all this stuff that's responsible will probably happen within the next couple of weeks, I think. Yeah. Now, you're moving what, May? Like late May, early June? Probably. That's, that's And places are starting to thought. open up in early February for that? I can book up to 90 days ahead of time. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah, I didn't know it until um, I called. This is the kind of question that I could have just been refreshing every day saying, is it the right date? But I just called and I was like, how soon? When, yeah. How's your math work there? 
So now mathematically, I know in a couple weeks I can say, I'm going to snap that up before anybody else takes the one I want. Mm-hmm. That is interesting because uh, some of the apartment buildings I've gone to are like, well, we have a unit open. So whoever comes and gets it, gets it. And, you know, three months lead time is just not really it's a qu- thing it's in quite many a areas lot. around here. Well, it's also a kind of newish building. So ah, okay. there's a it. chance they're being more lenient because they yep. opened up in 2020 during, you know, yeah. pandemic times. So there's a chance they're being a little more flexible mm-hmm. in an attempt to make up for lost time. That makes absolute sense. The building I'm sure Tony there are so in, many places have that problem right now. Yeah, the building Tony lived in was also pretty much brand new and then the pandemic hit. So, you know, I would go up there and visit him and the top three garage floors were empty. Yeah, so I basically there are so many buildings that are like, please, please come live here. Please mm-hmm. do this for me. This is yeah. You, you just started a very expensive investment mm-hmm. and couldn't Meanwhile, start Meanwhile, like it. renting houses around here, you know, Tony has been like, hey, can I wait a month? And they're like, eh, if no one else comes and wants to rent it before you, I guess. Yeah. So it seems a little bit more competitive around, at least where we're here, like around where we're living. And maybe that's just for houses. I'm not sure, but that's very interesting to know and probably useful information for people listening. I do remember when we first wanted to get an off-campus apartment um, in Ames, like during college, I called around super early and I'm really glad that I did because they basically told me the same thing. They're like, you know, we all the leases basically turn over at the end of July because it's a college town. Yeah. But we start booking reservations and preferences like in February or March. And I think we had our lease signed in March of the year, or I guess March, and then we moved in August 1st. Yeah, well, so that's that because you're definitely that kind of person too. And also to all the listeners out there, I would like you to know that every single time I do something like this, if I show up to the post office with my forms already filled out, if I sign my leases and have everything figured out months in advance, every person I'm working with has always just been like, I am, you, you did it oh, already. I didn't, <laughs> that's amazing. Why isn't everybody else doing this? They're thrilled that I've just filled out the paperwork already, signed all the correct faces, and I don't need to have it explained to me and that I'm responsible because, you know, it's hard enough waiting for a regular email response, but they've got to wait for email responses for big important things and they don't know. If you're organized and ahead of time, they will be thankful for you. Now, when when you're doing these things, do you think that you're supposed to do them and that everyone else is doing them and you don't want to fall behind? Or do you know you're getting a sort of head start? I do everything with a head start because I'm the kind of person who feels like if I'm five minutes late, I've made a terrible mistake. Mm. So... Because I always grew up thinking like everyone did that kind of stuff and I didn't want to fall behind. Well, see, I might get that feeling, but all the evidence I've ever gotten has told me, no, that feeling is incorrect. So I've Mm -hmm. started to realize that actually I'm just way ahead of this because I'm too anxious about missing something and forgetting a step. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've obviously learned that as well. And and when you're the kind of person who does that, you do think everybody else does because we project as sort of a default state as people. Mm -hmm. I can't help but feel that that's it's going to happen. Like I'm going to show up without something filled out and they're going to be like, what, why didn't you do that? Everyone did that. Yeah. Idiot. <laughs> so stupid. Uh, okay. So 
Is that video that you're going to appear in going to be out by the time we're recording it? Do you know? I think so. Okay. I will look forward to seeing it. And we can maybe do a little breakdown if you want. Uh, What I would like to have accomplished by the time we record next is, and this is a little ambitious, but I want to have the network set up. The whole thing, through the walls. Maybe not to Anna's room upstairs, because that that may actually require a contractor to come in. It may require. Oh yeah, you've got several different the outside floors of the house. But I would like to have established my jack upstairs in the main office where the router is, and then one or two down here. And then you know, hopefully, if we can get that done, we can also finish the painting. But. Every time I look into it, I'm like, oh, there's more things I got to learn. There's more gear I got to buy. It's actually kind of a very complicated thing to do if you don't want to just do like one wall. So uh, that's my my studio build. Um, what's the word for it? Goal for the next two yeah. weeks. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be pretty big, I imagine. And then I want to have uh, at least two videos up on TF Explains with our brand new uh, Notion Basics content that we're gonna be doing. So for people who don't know, what I'm gonna do with DF Explains for the next, I guess, while is try to build out a, basically just a free Notion Basics course, all on YouTube, completely open, but I also wanna have um, like example templates you can download, things like that. I had thought about making this a paid course, but I think it's actually gonna be better to do it as a free one and then if people want to buy the Notion for Creators course, it's going to be a lot bigger and kind of aimed at business owners and creators. They can do that. But I don't know. I like making things free. So yeah, two videos there. And then working on February videos. I really, really enjoyed putting a lot of extra time into this Skillshare video that I did this month. Well, yeah, that's the, so, the Explore one, right? Yep. Yeah, I think it paid off. That was a really cool video. The writing was good. I really loved the explore exploit thing. So mm-hmm. y'all should go watch that if you have not done so. Exploration exploitation is actually a term that's used mostly in like the AI circles. Like people in, in artificial intelligence development. It's one of the main problems because humans just naturally take some of their resources and time to explore. But if you're developing like a, an AI or a computer that has a utility function, like how do you make it want to explore when it knows already what it can exploit? But it really made sense for people who kind of get stuck in a certain career or stuck in one way of doing things like, oh, it works. Yeah. I'm doing just fine. I'll keep exploiting it. How do you push yourself to explore? So I really wanted to throw that in the video. Uh, anywho, so today... Uh, I know you want to talk about this because you're the one who came up with the episode title, but I also want to talk about critical thinking. Yeah, and I think how we it's can... cool. Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff you had been reading, it sounds like, was really interesting. Yeah, and I haven't really been reading on critical thinking, but yeah. I just sort of, I went down this little rabbit hole that made me think about it. So in doing the research for this exploration video, uh, like I said, it was originally supposed to be three different tips, which were going to be exploration is one of them. The other one was going to be what I have now come to define as direction and pressure. Um, before I called it limits, I find that when you set limits, your creativity actually sort of gets concentrated because now you have a direction to go in and then practice. And in doing the research for the direction and limits section, I had remembered that the book uh, 33 Strategies of War by Robert Greene had what was called the death ground strategy, 
And he tells the story about Hernando Cortez sailing to the Americas. And then there's like this famous story of him burning the ships so that his men yeah. can't go back to Cuba where it's safe and they have to take over the country. Uh, you know, kind of like a horrific ending to that story. But the book uses it as, you know, an illustration of something that military commanders have known forever, that teachers have known forever, that, you know, anybody in positions of authority who are trying to get other people to do something have long known, which is that when you sort of put someone's back up against the wall, they tend to work a little harder. There's a little bit of desperation there. You know, if you back an army up against a cliff into a corner, they're going to fight a lot harder because they know they cannot run. And I have loved that idea for a very long time. It's why I sometimes will add limitations into my video production process. Like, you know, I can't do this section on camera. I have to do it VO. Or this section can only be 500 words. Just stuff like that that sort of focuses the mind by creating a constraint. But I, I read this thing in the chapter and I read this years ago and it stuck with me. He had this line about how uh, the, the Russian author, is it Dostoevsky? That's, is that how you pronounce it? I don't know how to pronounce Russian so that, you know, that's recognizable to me. So anybody else who doesn't know for sure would probably get yeah, it. I, I'm going to, I'm going to go. It could be Dostoevsky. I should I should probably have thrown like it into I, a I probably should have checked thing. Forvo. <laughs> I probably should have checked Forvo. That would have been a he's good the guy step. who wrote he's the guy who wrote the Gambler, very 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 famous Russian author. And there's just this throwaway line in the chapter, uh, and I, I guess I should give pretext to what the line is. He talks about how Dostoevsky would basically, you know, just sort of take forever on his projects. He would be a little listless. He'd be way too perfectionist, and then. He sort of fell in with these politically charged friends and they were doing some activism. They were doing all those kind of things. And for whatever reason, the king decided to arrest them and quote unquote sentence them to death. And I put that in quotes because the death sentence was fake, but they didn't know it up until the point that they were literally standing out in a square about to be executed by firing squad. And at the last section, uh, last second, um, I think it was Frederick. Came, comes in and he's like, uh, decided to commute your sentence. And he had always planned to do this, but he just wanted to add like a little bit of extra humiliation. That's suspense. It. That's so instead he sentences him to hard labor for a number of years. And, uh, basically what green says is like for Dostoevsky, the experience was one that sort of like aw awakened him. Cause he's like, well, I could have died then, which means that I should basically cherish every single moment that I have afterwards. And after that happened, his writing output went up. He was always working frantically. It basically just changed his entire work ethic. And he sort of says like he would do these things to reconnect with that feeling, to reconnect with the knowledge that, you know, time is fleeting, life is precious. And there's this throwaway line. Sometimes when he had become too comfortable, he would go and gamble all of his money away to essentially reconnect with that feeling. That stuck with me for years. I, I read that, I think, probably five years ago. And I think there have been podcasts where I've brought up that story. And I could never remember who it was. Uh, and it's funny. Like, I would Google Russian author who would gamble his money away on purpose. And nothing would come up. So I'm like, <laughs> oh, maybe it was an apocryphal story. I can't remember where I read it. And I just stumbled across it again doing the research for this video. But this time I was like, okay, that's weird. Like, it's it's a really interesting, colorful thought 
to think like a guy would literally go and purposefully gamble all of his money away just to kind of get in touch with his inner ascetic. But uh, it's it's a weird thing. And I'm like, you know what? Okay, now I finally remember who this is about. I remember where I read it. Now let me go do some research because I want to know about this. If there's a guy who would actually go and purposely gamble his money away, like that's interesting. I want to know about it. Well, it turns out Dostoevsky was a compulsive gambler. He literally had a gambling addiction. And there are letters that he would write to his second wife about like, you know, being so sorry that he had pawned away her possessions, feeling so guilty about it. Like he was racked with guilt about this and he was actually like addicted to gambling. So this was not, oh, I feel too comfortable. I'm going to go purposefully gamble away all my money in this enlightened throw of the dice so I can get back in touch with, you know, what life is really about. He had a compulsion. But the the book makes no mention of that. It didn't say you know, he was a gambling addict. It, it said he did this on purpose, essentially. And like, I don't think that Green is like trying to mislead people because it's this throwaway line. It doesn't really, it doesn't really bolster the meaning of what he's trying to get across. It could have been left out. The rest of the story about his fake execution, that already is hard hitting enough. The Hernando Cortez story, or maybe it's Hernan Cortez, that's already hard hitting enough. It makes the point I don't know why he threw it in there. My guess would be that he came across it in research and didn't think to dig further into it and thought it was interesting enough to leave in the book. Yeah, it could have just been interesting and believable enough, given what else he might have known about the author. It's been like, that seems true. Mm-hmm. But I would argue like something like that, a sentence like, this famous author purposely gambled away his money so he could purposely be poor is a sentence that should make you pause and go, huh, that doesn't make sense. Um, the there's, there's this artificial intelligence researcher who wrote like this whole series on rationality on a site called Less Wrong. His name's Eliezer Yudkowsky. He's a guy who shaped a lot of my thinking. Um, I don't like everything he says, but he he's the first guy who I really read into who had anything to say about human rationality and heuristics and biases. And he has a whole essay about like noticing when you're confused how like a lot of people will be confused and they'll go, oh, well, that's confusing, but whatever, and gloss over it. And like, if you want to become a more rational thinker, you need to develop this ability to notice when you're confused, like when your model of reality doesn't match what you've just read or just experienced. And then, you know, take the time to pause and figure out why are these out of sync? Which one is wrong? Is it my model of reality you know, is it that he actually did gamble his money away on purpose and maybe I should rethink my conception of humans or is the story wrong? Is there something we're not learn we're not being told here and maybe my conception, my confusion was justified here because maybe there's something else going on. In this case, it's, that is the case, you know? And I think like we don't spend enough time doing that. And if we yeah. want to get more out of the books we read, the experiences we have, we also want to avoid intaking potentially dangerous ideas and making decisions based off of those ideas. We need to notice that confusion more often. Yeah, I think there's a bit of a habit to, especially if you're being confused by someone you look up to or respect, the mm -hmm. the instinct might be, well, I'm sure it makes sense. I probably, I just don't get it, but I'm sure it makes sense. But it might not. And then yeah. people can easily get misled by someone they respect 
or mm-hmm. or they can accidentally become sort of yes men or yes people is less catchy but it's more accurate if you're yeah. just constantly like i'm sure what you said makes sense boss no problems and then you never get to say wait a second that was the worst idea i've ever heard in my yeah, life exactly. which actually lowers your potential value to that same person who might need to be told they were wrong and yeah, then, a good boss doesn't want to be surrounded by yes men yeah that's they that's do want to be surrounded hindering. by people who think about their criticisms before blurting them out you know, because yeah, yeah, you can't just yell. That's that's dumb over and yeah. over. That's not useful. Mm. But I think one of the best habits that I've built up in in life in general, and especially the last several years, is just in taking information skeptically, but also positively. I I don't mean I don't mean everything is a conspiracy theory, and I think that the lizard people are going to get me. But in taking things skeptically, well, th- that's none of my business. You know, they can. That's <laughs> it's not my concern yet. It might but be your business if they're going to get you. It's not. Their <laughs> their desires are higher than mine, and I cede that to them. Um, My body becoming fuel for their grand designs is no matter for me to speak Fuel out. is a great honor. You were forgetting. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I want to intake everything skeptically because all the information we're intaking comes from other people, mm-hmm. and other people have different contexts that might explain why they would think that, why they yep. might stand to mislead you. Maybe they would gain. Or or maybe that's, even if it's just a self-help book or a personal thing or even something we say, and it's like a personal anecdote, you should question it. So if I give a personal anecdote, maybe, let's say I make an offhanded comment about my cleanliness preferences. Well, you shouldn't immediately latch on to whatever I just said as law, even if you love everything I've ever said. Because for me, there are many different contexts that make my statement true to me and maybe not anyone else. I like simplicity in design. Minimalism is calming to me. I didn't grow up with a lot, so I'm really careful about buying new things because it still kind of feels like a big deal when I do it. And my neighborhoods and homes weren't always the best, so I'm really touchy about leaving too many hiding places for insects or mice. Mm -hmm. And... I have obsessive compulsive disorder. So if you hear something I say in any of those contexts might make sense as to, I, I see why Martin would think that way. But so he's not, he's not lying or misleading, but I don't need to intake that. Yeah. Be- there are whole books where I'll read through and I'll be like, that section's cool. I can see why it makes sense, but I can toss that out of my head immediately because it's just not going to be relevant to what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I have different goals and a different life. Yep. Yeah, I remember um, the guy who ran Social Triggers used to say, like, preach this. Spend 20% of your time creating and 80% of your time promoting what you create. And, you know, I was like this wide-eyed, impressionable first or second year blogger. So I'm like, okay, I guess that makes sense. He's got all these followers. But I've since realized, like, maybe that makes sense for him. But for the work I do, I should flip that. If I spent 80% of my time promoting the things I made, what I made would be either I would never publish anything, it'd be like a year between videos, or I'd be putting out garbage. It takes time to write and experience things and do the research to make anything worthwhile. And then it takes more time to produce it. So for me, like the promotion, I got to do some of it, but... 
that has got to be the minority of my time. Yeah, exactly like that. And it's, it's just, that's the difficult part about improving your own life is that you need to adapt every single thing you hear. You shouldn't just take that thing and say, that's it. Let's do it. You got to think, does mm-hmm. this actually make sense for me? Yep. My favorite quote still is that one from Bruce Lee, which is, uh, Oh my God, I'm totally brain farting right now. <laughs> oh no, I know what you're talking about. Um, yep. And it's, it's my favorite quote. So of course I would. And, um, something. Oh, adapt what is useful, reject what is useless, and add what is specifically your own. That's yeah, what there it is. it is. I don't know why there I brain farted for a second. We, we can't cut it out because we don't do lots of editing on this show. That's fine. It's organic. It's, it's brain fart on my favorite quote. <laughs> Non-GMO quotes right here. And like, okay, so going back to the the whole story with Robert Greene, like one takeaway we could take from this is authors need to do better, right? And we can we can put pressure on people like that. Hey, like, you know, do better research on your books or maybe we don't buy books from people who we think don't do great research. But that is sort of passing the buck back to the author. And like, there is a justification for doing that. But that justification isn't so strong that we should abdicate all responsibility to the people who are putting out the information. We need to take the responsibility upon ourselves to think critically about what we intake. Because to try to abdicate that responsibility is it like it's just not realistic. To try to say, like, everybody who puts out information, could you be a little more thorough about it? Please and thank you. I want to intake like a sheep. I want to just accept everything I see at face value. So could you please just be a little bit more accurate? Like, no, we have to, we have to look at it critically and notice the confusion. And when something doesn't make sense, go either dig into it or go, that doesn't make sense. Maybe I shouldn't take that too seriously. If I don't have time to dig into it, let's not take it too seriously. At least take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Even in an ideal world with perfect information, I would much rather still be making sure I adapt it to me. And Mm -hmm. I guess on a similar note, you were mentioning you want to notice when you're confused. One thing that I've gotten much better at in the last several years, especially because, you know, politics has been very fun in (laughs) in the United States. One thing I've noticed is if something initially makes me feel mad or offended, that is also something I should stop and wait and say, wait, why? Why am I? Have I really thought this through? What is my opinion? Do I even have one on this topic? Mm Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, it might be easy to just jump to the opinion that you think you're supposed to have. Or yeah. if you can get tricked into anger or fear, this is, I think, a, a pretty big problem. There is, I've read in some places, but cannot actually back this up right now, but essentially you don't think as logically when you're mad. Mm, yep. You know, the brain science behind that, I'm not going to make any claims to that. But I think that intuitively it makes sense because everybody that we've ever seen be angry or scared has, you know, missed several logical steps that would probably calm yeah. the situation down. So well, if it's you why, find like, yourself in like any that, game, you're shut down. It's like why in any game you want to get your opponent feeling emotional because they're going to make a blunder. Yeah, that's, that's like the whole point. And that's why, you know, there's... There's this funny trick of like, why are you getting mad? Why are you getting mad? And if you stay that long enough, they get mad. And now you're proven right. <laughs> and now they're going to stumble through and they're going to lose anyway, even though maybe you were wrong. But if you can get somebody to think primarily emotionally, 
it will kind of shut off the the caution that you should have when you're approaching new information or mm -hmm. when you're trying to formulate your opinion on something because the world is nuanced and everybody around you is complex and yep. you should see situations that way. Yeah, I think if you're exposed to a piece of information that gets you really mad immediately, the first thing you should think is, okay, there's so much information I'm already exposed to. The fact that this was able to cut through the noise means that there's just as much of a chance that this was somehow engineered to make me angry. Yeah, does anyone stand that, to gain from my anger? Yeah, and that doesn't mean that you know what they're reporting on is completely untrue, but it also doesn't mean that every single detail is completely 100% true or that it hasn't been played up to get you to have yeah, that kind maybe of Maybe it's not proportional. Exactly, you know? And then there's always a bunch of people in the comments who are taking it to an even further degree of emotional intensity. Yeah. You know? So yeah, just... I think that's something we should definitely do is like, you know, take stock of our emotions and pause and like think like, why am I having this reaction? What do I really believe about this? What do I even know about this? Like, is this even giving me complete information? Yeah. Yeah. And this sort of thinking over the last several years, I've had many times where I was like, you know what? I don't think I had any, any educated or well thought out position on that. Mm -hmm. But now I do. And, and yeah. actually my initial offense was more that I don't like feeling confused because I consider myself a person <laughs> who likes to think things through. Mm -hmm. And it annoys me when I've somehow been out of the loop and didn't know something. You know, yeah. I feel like, what have I done? How did I miss that? I feel like I should be educated on this. I'm supposed to be smart or something. Mm -hmm. So part of my initial offense is just that I don't understand. And I don't like that. And it feels well, good to fill out those opinions and figure it out. Yeah. I remember I, I took a political affiliation test when I was 18 years old and like nine out of 10 questions, they wanted a, a black or white answer. And I'm like, I literally don't know because I yeah. can think of this situation where I would think this way, but I can think of another situation where I think the opposite way. Like there's no nuance. Like you're getting way more nuance two answers. Than, a, than a poll. Yeah. And the other thing is like, in there. I don't know enough. I literally don't know enough. You know, like, like you want me to vote on this thing. I have so little information about it that, you know, I feel wrong even coming to the table with a position other than to say, like, hopefully we can elect somebody who has knowledgeable, who is knowledgeable enough. Yeah, like I, I, I have to done make my homework decision. on this, so I'm not going to be saying what the conclusion should be. Yeah. Like, I remember, like, when the, you know, the presidential election was happening, I got my ballot measure and I, you know, I did my main votes. And then there was one that was like, it was like, should uh, should wild wolves be purposefully reintroduced to the wilderness in this certain area of Colorado? And like, the only reason I know anything about whether or not that should happen is because Tim Ferriss put out this whole blog post, I think it was like a year ago, saying he was committing a bunch of money to donate to like re-bringing in, reintroducing wolves into, I think it was like the Alaskan wilderness in his case. But there was this documentary that he cited and there's all this evidence that bringing wolves down helps keep um, overpopulation and grazing animals from happening, which helps to prevent actual deforestation. Like it can literally have geological effects. So, and you know, this is me just reading one blog post from Tim Ferriss. So even that I have super incomplete information. But if I had not stumbled across that one email from Tim Ferriss, I would be like, I have no clue. Like, why? Why are you asking yeah, me? I have not uh, you know? communed with the wolves recently, so I'm yeah. unfamiliar with 
And they're asking, you know, they're asking people to vote on that. And what I would imagine would happen is the people who live in those communities are probably going to be like, we don't want wolves around because they're going to come in our backyards and eat our chickens and do all kinds of stuff. But then like the 10 times as many people in the cities are like, oh, wolves. Okay, that's fine. You know, uh, so like I got a little bit of a position on it, but the average person living in Denver, Colorado, in the middle of the city, what kind of a position can they really have on that? Yeah. Unless they go out and do the research themselves. Yeah. Or unless we've all been as a society given the time and specific space to learn about it. And I do very much appreciate like that uh, in Colorado, we get these big old pamphlets that sort of explain. Yes, I do like that. For and against positions. That is that is like a ridiculously useful thing. But even then, not everybody's got time to read that. So And even that, like no, not everyone's got time to read it. Yours truly included. But the other thing is... I've read books like how to lie with statistics and uh, the way that surveys or opinion polls are worded, like literally the way you phrase the question can change the results. And I'll give you just a super easy example. Um, There was a study done and I'm going to butcher the names and I'm going to butcher the qualities here because I don't remember it perfectly, but uh, this is in thinking fast and slow. People are basically asked to judge and give like an initial impression of two different people. And they're like, you know, Linda is smart. She's empathetic. She's hardworking. Um, she's sometimes late and she's a bit of a klepto. And then they're like, Brian, he's a bit of a klepto. He's, you know, he's sometimes late. He's not very punctual, but he's hardworking. He's smart and he's hmm. empathetic. And, you know, you can probably guess where this is going. People gave, you know, uh, much more favorable first impressions to Linda even though these descriptions are exactly the same, the order has just been reversed. That's just one example of how you can phrase a question and get people to, you know, sort of automatically drift towards a certain answer. And there's a ton of ways to do this. Um, They have to be very careful in the way that they word certain things like, you know, this many people died due to this disease versus this many lives were saved. Like when uh, when, when they try to solicit funds for like, you know, saving birds from oil spills. Um, they're like, you saved one bird and people have, you know, a crazy emotional reaction to it. You saved 10 birds, you know, a little bit more of an emotional reaction to it. You saved a million birds. You know, you don't care any more than you did for 10 because our our sense of numbers don't really scale like that. We we see a story. We don't see statistics very weird or very, very easily. We don't grasp them. Yeah. So I always fret about that kind of stuff too. And I guess that's just like yet another reason we need to develop these critical thinking abilities because we can be manipulated in ways we'll never even think about. Yeah. And you've you've got to know that everybody that is coming to ask you your opinion on something might have a preference they want you to have, which means you should be cautious. It doesn't mean that they're evil or that they're wrong. It might turn out that you love their position, Mm -hmm. but you should really question whether you love that position yeah. Or whether you haven't really thought too deeply into it. That's that's the trick is because sometimes your instinct was right. But it's yep. better, I think, to have that backed up and know why it's right. And most people don't even think they're evil. You know, like I, I would have to guess the people who are writing things like this are not sitting there going, I'm going to write it like this and this one way to phrase it because I really oh, want yeah. people to be tricked. They're almost certainly not, you know, like snidely whiplash over yeah. here. Which, small aside, Snidely Whiplash, is he from Wacky Races? Uh, I don't know. I know him from Dudley Do-Right. Oh, uh, that, okay. 
that's what it was. I always thought he was the bad guy in Wacky Races, and then I posted a picture of a Wacky Races character who was the bad guy that I drew a long time ago, and someone called him, I think it was like Doug Dastardly, and I'm like, no, that's Smiley Whiplash. But I oh, think no. I was wrong. I Look think at that. If, you see that? Your, your opinion wasn't educated on old cartoon <laughs> villains. <laughs> yeah, if, if you are, if you're saying instinctively Dudley Do-Right, that's probably what it was. And I, it probably was Doug Dastardly or whoever it was. Anyway, that show was great. I watched it a ton when I was a kid. Um, but yeah, like, you know, people don't think, haha, I'm evil. They, everyone has an agenda. But most people have that agenda justified in their heads pretty darn well. So when they're creating something like an opinion poll or something like that, you know, they're probably not consciously thinking, how can I word this question so that I get the answer I want? Some of them are. So there definitely are. There's all sorts of like data fudging in science. So like we can't say nobody's doing that. But your point was correct. Like not everyone is evil and not everyone is wrong. They They're have probably just opinion. saying it how they think it in their head. Yeah. Which has its own little bias. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone has their bias. So I think it, it is worth educating yourself on the ways in which those biases can uh, manifest themselves in the messages that are delivered to us and also how you can defend against them. And it's worth practicing this, you know, art of noticing your confusion and digging into it and seeing, you know, what doesn't actually match up to the truth. Is it the way I look at the world or is it what I've been told? Yeah. And side note, just looked it up. Snidely Whiplash is from Dudley Do-Right and Rocky ah. and Bullwinkle, according to Wikipedia. So unless we think a Wikipedia editor has an agenda to confuse me about this cartoon, I think that this is probably reliable information. They probably do, yeah. I think there might be a conspiracy, though, that goes deeper than I could ever imagine. Well, so this is a topic that we could maybe talk about in another episode because it gets really deep. But um, another concept that I was introduced to by Yudkowsky uh, was the concept of Bayesian thinking, where instead of you know taking a piece of information and just letting your your position on an issue swing wildly in response to it or you know what a lot of people do is just completely ignore it altogether you first you take your priors which is your prior beliefs the foundation of the position you've taken and then um you know in mathematics when you're actually doing bayesian statistics you bring in a piece of information and you try to figure out okay what is the weight of this evidence how much should it shift my beliefs by a precise amount and like when we're talking about non-mathematical equations here, and we're talking about like the beliefs you have, you don't want to be sitting down with like a pen and paper writing out p-values. Yeah, I'm going to give 10 points to my Snidely Whiplash opinion. Yeah, but you know, like a like an example like that, uh, you know, what what is the probability that there's a Wikipedia editor out there with an agenda to mislead me about <laughs> the origins of a cartoon character? Uh, well, pro they probably don't know me, so there's a prior. Uh, Wikipedia has pretty good standards. Uh, there's been a lot of things done yeah. to validate the accuracy of Wikipedia content, and it's surprisingly good. The last one I remember seeing, this was from years ago, but um, they found it to be roughly equivalent in accuracy to the Britannica encyclopedia. So yeah, at a certain solid. point, you got to be like, okay, I mostly trust that unless I read something that seems out of whack. And uh, why would they want to mislead me about where a cartoon character from yeah. the first place? <laughs> Has Dudley Do-Right been in the news lately? Is there anything controversial happening? Mm -hmm. If so, the chance might be higher. But, you know, still pretty low chance, all things considered. Yeah. Now, that, you know, I know there's a lot of incentive for certain parties to try to mislead my opinion on anything related to Donald Trump right now. 
But uh, Snidely Whiplash, probably not so much. Yeah, probably yeah. doesn't matter. Which product I should buy? Which brand I should buy? That one? There's probably a lot of incentive to, to yeah, shift my thinking money one way or another. So it, I guess if we were to try to like break this down into a nice convenient little list of tips, that would be one of them. Like ask yourself for whatever message I have been exposed to, um, given that party or maybe the parties that this source could maybe be affiliated with, what is their level of incentive to try to shift the way I think in a certain direction, given this topic? Is it low in the case of Snubby Whiplash? Or is it high in the case of like which brand of power drill I should buy if I'm at Home Depot or what Trump did this week? Yeah. If it's high, then I'm probably going to be better served if I pause and think about it a little bit more critically or do some research. Yeah. Find some sources that you think are maybe less biased mm-hmm. that maybe support some other sources better. And then yep. one more the, the more sources you find that don't seem that related, the better. Yeah, exactly. I guess, secondly, uh, it would probably behoove you to look into the ways that information can be manipulated to make you think a certain way or make you more likely to take it a certain way. And that applies both to the message itself, but also to the person or the entity delivering it. Uh, We did a whole series, I think it was like six episodes, on the book Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion. And there's all these like different factors of influence, like authority, the way people dress, like somebody wearing a doctor's coat in like a lab coat in a commercial. Marketers know that that actually shifts people's beliefs more. If you just, if you literally take like a plastic surgeon and you put him in a doctor coat and you're like, hey, I'm a doctor and I think that this protein supplement is great. People are going to be more likely to believe that because they're wearing the attire. They have the DR in front of their name, even though their area of specialty has nothing to do with this supplement here. They probably know yeah. nothing about the specific supplement anyway. The entire supplement industry is a cesspool where there's barely any regulation or FDA approval and they're being paid to say it. But they're wearing a lab coat. So we instinctively go, oh, he's a doctor huh, I was a police officer, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, It's actually a very good book to read, or you can go listen to our series on it, which is technically College Info Geek Podcast Archive. It's a classic. Those are classics. I think those are pretty good. Yeah. Um, So so there's that one, you know, educate yourself on how you can be manipulated in different ways. Um, Ask yourself... Uh, what's the incentive? What's the degree of incentive that they anybody would have to try to manipulate my beliefs in this way? And then I, just get in the habit of doing more research, asking more questions. Um, this is another reason why it's a good idea to take notes on what you read. Because if you're just reading a book, especially if it's like a nonfiction book, a book that you're trying to use to change something about your life, if you just read it, gloss over it and leave, then you never have to critically wrangle with it. And like that line about Dostoevsky gambling away his money on purpose is a perfect example. The first time I read it, I didn't take notes on that chapter. I didn't even remember where I'd read it after a while, but it stuck in my head for years. I told the story on podcasts and I can't even imagine like how many people read that and also, you know, remembered it and how many other throwaway lines are there that are maybe poorly researched or, or you know, unjustified for the point that they're they're trying to bolster are in all these self-help books that we read, how many people are taking away the wrong conclusions from that? 
and they're never stopping to to question them. Yeah, especially so if, you, if that's yeah. what they wanted to hear. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, you're manipulating your own information if you yep. hide from stuff that doesn't support what you wanted to be the conclusion. Yeah, I mean, there's is a very inconvenient truth in the self help industry that there's you know there's a huge amount of incentive to tell you what you want to hear. That's why there are fat loss pills, because you don't want to hear, uh, you know, you need to go and exercise and go on a restrictive diet that you're probably not going to like. You want to hear like, oh, you can do whatever you want. Keep doing what you're doing. We have a product to sell you that will give you everything you want without you having to put any hard work in. Like that's that's like half the self-help and fitness industry is providing yeah, it's just solutions. This is a one step. This is, <laughs> we, we were going to give you the 12 steps, the 13 steps. You didn't like that many steps. Here's mm-hmm. one step. You it know, sounds too good to be true, so you should question it. And it's something we'll have to be careful with when we get into our course marketing because like a ton of course marketing is telling people what they want to hear. Here's how, and we're not doing a course on how to make money, so you know we're not really getting into this territory yet, but every big make money online course or how to become an entrepreneur course, the marketing is, well, yeah, this is a $1,000 course because we're going to teach you the secret shortcut to get rich fast. And this is not a get rich yeah. quick scheme, yeah. but you know, I've gone through and learned the system that you can use. And if you use it, <laughs> you're going to get rich quick. Wink. Yeah. They're so telling you what you want. It isn't, hear. but it, you know, it is. And, and, and I like that when we're doing stuff, we go to great lengths to make sure that we're representing things honestly as we believe it and trying not to do that and making lots of stuff free. But knowing that listener, I have an incentive to have you believe that. So you should consider, given the past things that we've said here, do you think that I'm being truthful about that? Or is there That's a true. weird meta thing going on? Is there a meta conspiracy? Yep. There could be. I mean, probably not, but that's up to you to decide, really, not me. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're, we're an advertiser-supported podcast. Like, we, we, cannot compla- we cannot claim to be completely above bias and completely above even unconscious influence into what we create. Yeah. So I am a person, you know, and as far as you know, that goes all the way back to that original point about passing the buck to the person who puts out the information. I do believe that we have an ethical obligation to try to put out as accurate of information as we can to not let commercial interests get too much into the content we put out. However, that said, the listener also has a responsibility to think critically about what they're listening to. Yeah. You know? And there's all sorts of factors out there. The parasocial relationship people get through social media, influencers, things like that. The authority aspect of influence. All these kinds of things. Laziness even. I assume, you know, because they put the time into it, they probably researched it. They probably fact-checked it. I don't want to get into it. I don't have time for that. There's all these different incentives and factors that can cause us to just go, eh, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's real. I'm sure it's true. And it isn't always true. And... If I can leave you with nothing else from this podcast, it would be to spend a little bit more time thinking a bit more critically, a bit more skeptically about what you hear and digging into it more. Yeah. Only benefits can come of that. Mm-hmm. Other than yep. maybe a little loss of time. But I think it'll the trade-off I think is worth it. I absolutely think it's worth it as well. You know, I'm glad I read into the origins of that author's gambling addiction because now I know like that line wasn't true. I've gone around thinking this guy was just this big brain ascetic who would gamble away all his money on purpose. Wow, that's so cool. That's like... Yeah, and what if you had just been like, that's a good idea, and then just burnt all your money? What if you had just done that thinking it would save everything? Well, I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but there have been times in my life where I've been like, should I just like 
let myself fail so that way I can like experience that and then like be more interesting as a result. And like, you know, and that's if you if you purposely decide to do that, I think it's irresponsible. Should I just go like spend all my money in a crazy spree so that like I'll put me into that desperate back against the wall feeling? No, because that's stupid. Because if I do that and then tomorrow my mom calls me and says I got in a car accident, I won't have money to go help her. Yeah, because yeah, I stupidly have, thought if I spent all my money, some consequences. Yeah, you know. And, and and going and reading that history is, oh, he had a gambling addiction. He was actually racked by guilt. He was angry, going through anguish about this. It was not some big brain strategic move. Then it's a lot easier to come to that conclusion real quick. Yeah. And but even if, if it worked that, too, it, even if you did it the first time and it did work and you found Sith's inspiration, what, you're now going to ruin your life every time you have a project? That seems like yeah. even if it works, it's got way too many bad side effects. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to teach yourself that that works, mm-hmm. even if it did. You know, and in this process of critical thinking, what I've come to learn is there are ways to get back a little bit of that useful desperation, that useful constraint without doing something stupid. That might mean stepping up your game a bit, taking on a challenge that you're afraid to take on. You know, don't don't like give yourself a handicap uh, you know, like don't just like start the same game on new game plus by saying, okay, I'm going to, you know, de-equip all my armor and throw away all my money and try to do the same game. Go play a new game with all the new abilities and weapons and spells and everything you have to randomly turn this into a video game metaphor or find a way to add a constraint to a certain project. I get a lot of value out of that sometimes. That's how I wrote my book. You know, you got to write 500 words a day. Otherwise, B-Minder is going to take your money and tweet that you failed. Yeah. Do it. Didn't have to throw my money away preemptively. I had the threat of losing money. Yeah, and also, you know, probably not enough to ruin your life immediately. So yeah, it <laughs> probably wasn't better planned. You know, and I remember like being fascinated by Nick Winter when he wrote that book, The Motivation Hacker, how he had put up seven thousand dollars into Beeminder as a bet, and he didn't like he didn't transfer the money into it, but it, it would have taken seven grand if he didn't write, and then taken seven grand if he didn't uh, skydive. So he had committed like all of his wealth to these two goals. And you know, I look back on that now, I'm like that's actually pretty insane. <laughs> uh, and when I, th- like when I think about it critically, and this is just coming to me now, I didn't prep this, but when I read that as a impressionable 19 year old kid, I was like, that's cool. You know, he would have lost all of his money if he didn't go skydiving. And now as somebody who is nearly 30, you know, and like, I don't have kids yet, but I've got parents who are getting older. I'm thinking about these things. I'm like, there's no way that I'm going to put up all of my wealth on a stupid bet to get myself to go skydiving. Because if I screw it up and then my family needs my help, well, I've just basically Sorry, I was scared in a bad position, <laughs> you know? And, you know, looking back on like, he also wrote that book when he was probably near that age, like 21, 22, I think you know, a fairly affluent dude living in San Francisco, uh, doing tech startups probably, and now I'm making assumptions, but probably didn't have like a ton of uh, life experience up to that point that told him, you know, hang on to what you got because you never know when your next meal's coming. You said at the beginning of this podcast, like you have experiences like that growing up. So I'm, I'm very careful. I'm betting you probably wouldn't bet $7,000. You're going to go skydiving. 
I would never do that. Especially because I do think there's a decent chance I would just not go skydiving. I don't want to go skydiving. But I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't put that much on there because it's not just punishing me. It's punishing anyone involved. And also not having food sucks. Mm-hmm. So it's punishing it, me or the people I know closely at minimum. But it's also punishing any food banks I might have given some of that to. It's punishing any good I could have done. And they didn't do anything to deserve that. Yep. No, I mean, there is there is nuance here. In B minor, you can set a setting to give, I think, half of what you would lose to a charity. Which actually seems like the wrong way to go about it if you're trying to motivate yourself not to lose that money. Now, I feel you like that would make me think it's not that bad. It, at least yeah, it's you, going you probably to want it to cause. be set to go to a bad cause. So you yeah, make sure you is, never you do know, it. Evil, evil ink. Doofenshmirtz Incorporated is going to get my yeah. money if I don't if but, I don't write my book. But the, the no, other nuance I, I here won't is risk it all. Yeah, and the other bit of nuance here is I'm not saying that you know Nick Winter was wrong to do that or even wrong to write about doing that. It's an interesting story, but I don't think the conclusion we should draw from that is everyone should go do that. Oh, that's such a good idea. No, yeah, it's, it's all based on the context. Thing. Yep. It's an outlandish thing. And maybe it would work for some people, but maybe it would be an irresponsible choice for other people. Yeah. So uh, I think if I think if we talk more, we're just going to cheapen what has already been said. So unless you have anything else to add. I don't think I do. That's that's a pretty, pretty good. That's pretty good. I didn't know where all where all this was going to end up going, you know, but I think I think we're good. Well, those are often the best episodes where we kind of don't know where things are going to go. And then it just goes somewhere interesting. Yeah. I always remember those episodes more than the ones where we had like a bullet list and we're just going to I hate the ones that are all bulleted out. They come across as a terrible PowerPoint presentation to me, at least at minimum. Mm -hmm. This is more like we actually just thought for an hour out loud. Yeah. The way to do a bullet list podcast is to take the time to turn that into a video. Yeah. And take the time to script it out, produce it. But if you're going to do that and just do it as a podcast with very little editing. Eh, I don't, I don't really think you're choosing the right format for that kind of information delivery. This format is good for conversation, organic conversation. Anywho, uh, I think that's about going to do it for this episode here of the Inforium. So if you want to get the show notes for this, it's going to be the Inforium.com slash 13, right? Yep. We don't add a three on there, even though in our notion database, we've got, uh, 313 here oh yes just because all them legacy episodes and saying the word notion actually reminded me we did have one no we have we have two cult member questions i almost skipped the cult member questions well that's not how you keep a cult going those in the hooded robes are going to be disappointed with me if i skip their questions uh i feel like we're gonna have to go through these a little bit more quickly um because they're kind of like open-ended questions that we got here this week so one, one is question true. is, how do you write scripts? Um, and I'm just going to speak a little bit about the video I just put out, which is called, This is Why You Don't Feel Inspired. Uh, if you are curious about the context, you can go watch that video. It's on my YouTube channel. But basically for that video, it started out as like stream of consciousness morning pages, which is just like daily writing every day. I'm trying to do that now. And I found that that's very useful for bringing back the wit, uh, almost sharpening the knife, uh, 
you know, you know, actually using your tools and keeping them in good order. And I'm reading the book Creativity Inc. right now at uh, Tony's request because he loves Pixar so much. And I wanted to write a video about creativity. So I just started writing about it and I'm like, okay, well, what's the question that I really want to answer here? And the thing that was kind of sticking out in my mind is what can you do to become a creative person? And I wanted to list out some examples. And one thing that I've been trying to do with my writing process is add in more storytelling. Instead of just putting out a video that's just like, here's three tips for this and that's it. I want to have stories that I can use as examples that can get, lend some emotional weight and some context to what I'm saying. So I wanted to add a story or an example to this video. And I'm thinking, okay, who's creative? What are some of like the most creative works that I can think of? And one that just snapped into my mind immediately was the opening to Neuromancer. That opening line is just iconic. Uh, if you want to know what the opening line is, go watch the video. Haha. <laughs> And so I just went and did a bunch of research. I read magazine interviews with William Gibson, who's the guy who wrote that. I read magazine interviews with Steve Jobs because I had talked about Steve Jobs in the previous video. There was this process of just collecting as much as I could. Uh, and I do a lot of highlighting in a browser called Command on my iPad, but also in the Kindle app for books. And then all the highlights go to Notion through Readwise. So I can sort of look at my highlights, add my own thoughts. And then I'll start to get an outline and then from that outline, sort of craft a script out of it and then go through and refine. I mean, so that was that video. Sometimes we'll write videos together. Yeah. Like you basically go through the process I just mentioned in the it, outline it is, stage. It is pretty much that, you know, a lot of, a lot of collection. Usually it comes from some sort of life experience or, or a reading or a long walk or something. That's where I get the initial ideas for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Then I just go sit in my car for a while, balance the iPad on the steering wheel and type out everything I can think of. Yeah. Do you use the uh, the keyboard, like the keyboard yeah. case for the iPad, yeah. this thing? Uh, well, no, I have a or do regular you have wireless keyboard because, oh, okay. so if I have the iPad up on the steering wheel, I've got the keyboard down in my lap. Gotcha, okay. And then- That actually, yeah, that would work better probably for your neck. It's good, it's good for my neck. It's actually pretty comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, eventually I try to distill that giant pile of stuff into the primary, what are the patterns in here? What's yeah. the point? And then the only interesting thing about my rough drafting itself is I've realized that once I write one rough draft outline, I basically need to say, that's it, quit, come back a different day, maybe even the next day, do it again, re retype out the whole thing with the old one next to it on the screen, because then I'll, st I'll make it better the second time and I'll see different patterns. After doing that for like three separate days, usually that's it. That's the one, but it never yeah. could have been the one on the first day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I find that that process of refinement and having a rest period between those those sessions is very, very helpful. It's not just for writing. It's also for script delivery. I will sometimes come and redo a video after sleeping on it, and the performance is always so much better. Yeah, so don't don't beat a script over your head for eight hours thinking, why isn't mm -hmm. this perfect yet? You probably just won't be today. Actually, for this video... I filmed half of it and then I was getting stuck on a line. And when I get stuck on a line, I tend to go into my own head more and more and more to the point where I, I was starting the line and flubbing the first word because I was obsessing over the inflection on the first syllable. <laughs> and I just realized like, okay, this is where I need to take a break. So I turned the camera off, went and got a drink of water, came back downstairs, filmed another video 
like the video that is supposed to go live, I think tomorrow on the iPad Pro setup, I filmed that one in between the first <laughs> half and second half of this more scripted out video. <laughs> and that was actually great. Like filming this video was enough of a break because it was off the cuff. It was just me talking about my workflow with the iPad Pro, it wasn't crazy scripted. So I felt a little looser. And then when I was done with that, I came back and I filmed the rest of the video. And it was, you know, I wasn't in my head anymore. So take them breaks. It's very, very useful. Uh, we can maybe talk a little bit more about that question in a future episode if people are curious. Uh, there is a follow-up question. How do you use Notion to help the writing process? So we have an area of our content database called the content ideas area. And basically it's just a filtered linked database that only shows idea tagged cards or pages or whatever you want to call them. So if you get content idea or Ransom or Tony or me, we'll put it there. We'll do some random writing on it. I get a lot of ideas this way when I'm doing morning pages. And then we've got a template where we can spawn all the things we need. I've got a whole video kind of about that on my YouTube channel. Um, which is, I think it's called How I Use Notion Advanced Setup. And, but most importantly, there's a research area and then there's a script area. So typically what I'll get from Martin is uh, an outline of the research area, I believe. Yeah, which I've usually written in bare notes. Just I like mm -hmm. super absurdly simple things when I'm writing. So yeah. I'll just take that. But I really like that in Notion, when I can give that to you, to the initial research, we can put it in a little drop down. Yep. So like you can put it next to what you're writing to compare. You can hide it when you're done with it. If you mm -hmm. want to just get out your own fresh ideas without having a reference, it's it's a super flexible way for me to put that over there. I use the crap out of the drop downs so much uh for the video that we're talking about or no it's not that one the perfectionism video because you did the first uh outline of that i have three drop downs for you and then three for me your initial outline and then you sent me another quote that i added into the script oh yeah and yeah. Then there's something else you sent me that i have in there i think it was like book yeah, recommendations because it, it ends up like in my head yep for a little bit but I love that. I love being able to collapse the things I'm not looking at right now. It's actually one of the things I love about Realm Research. And I kind of get the same experience with the toggles in uh, Notion. And yeah, it just makes it a lot easier. I will say though, I opened up Bear Notes on my iPad the other day just because I saw it there and I was just sort of browsing around. And uh, there, there are certain things that I just, I miss about that simple note-taking experience. I, I, I really like it. beautiful That's, simplicity to it. It's my favorite thing. And I like writing in Markdown. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you can write in Markdown in Notion. Well, yeah, I like writing in Markdown with zero other features in the editor other than Markdown. I, I like fewer features because I feel like I'm exactly the kind of person who would think, oh, wait, can I put this in there? Oh, I should put this in there because I can. I'm capable. Mm. Let's do it. And then it would be more about me nerding out about putting it into a fancy system than it yeah. is about what I was supposed to be doing doing i know that i'm a little bit weak to fancy setup for things <laughs> so if i that avoid it fair. you know I, I heard about somebody i saw somebody recently that was um they were going to move from goodreads to notion to track their reading and oh, i was yep. like that makes sense for some people but i but my first thought was confusion as to why and then i realized oh it because that doesn't make any sense for me because i'm not already using notion for any other personal tracking Ah, yep. So if I go to that much effort, all I'm doing is 
putting a bunch of extra work in my life for the sake of using Notion, not for the sake of tracking reading. Because for yeah. me, it doesn't consolidate anything, so it doesn't mm -hmm. make sense. Yeah, whereas for me, I have a very strong reason to do that. Yeah, it would I would actually synergize with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. It would make sense. Yeah, I've been using, I'm making heavy use of the backlink feature because I've got my Readwise database, which really only tracks books that I've made highlights in, but that's pretty much all books that I read. Yeah, I imagine that's everything. Even fiction, sometimes I'll see a turn of phrase and I'm like, that is so good. I got to put a highlight in there. So it ends up being kind of a book database of anything I've read. And then I go in and write my notes in there too. But I can just do a double bracket and link to any of those book pages from anywhere else. So if I'm doing research and I'm like, oh, hey, this article I read, this book I read, they're all going to contribute. I'll add backlinks to those pages from the research area. Yeah, that, that actually really makes sense as opposed to just having fun organizing things that didn't need organized or something. Mm -hmm. Now, what I really want is the ability to uh, reference specific blocks from other pages and maybe even embed them. That would be cool. But we'll see if that comes along in the future. Notion is everything. So I can't I can't try to make them come up with every feature right when I want it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of Notion, I like I said earlier, I've got uh, basics videos coming out on the Thomas Frank Explains channel. So within the next couple of weeks, there's gonna be two of them. Committed to it and project check-in. Boom. Yeah, there we gotta get our gotta get our courses going. So those will be on there. Uh, subscribe to that channel if you haven't already, and you are curious about learning more about Notion. And if you want to make sure you get this show when it comes out, which is every other week on Mondays, then you can go over to theinforium.com and subscribe. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. We are on Air which is a podcast player that I've been using because you can actually hit a button to make a highlight of the last 30 seconds or 45 seconds, whatever you choose of what you're listening to. And then that gets synced to Readwise as well, which cool. syncs to Notion. So that's pretty sweet. I've been doing that for podcasts where I want to mine them for insights. So I'm going through um, one of the old hardcore history episodes right now. Uh, but then like I still sometimes use Pocket Casts just because I've got a lot of old downloaded episodes in there and I don't want to re-download them. So I don't know. I juggle between a couple right now. Uh, but anyway, we're on all those podcast players. You can probably search for The Inforium and subscribe. But if not, theinforium.com has instructions on subscribing manually, I believe. There should be a page on how yep. to paste the RSS feed link in to whatever player you want. Uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts, there is a rating and review feature. If you enjoy this show, leaving a rating and review is always hugely appreciated so thank you if you do that but as always thank you for simply hanging out with us and we will see you in the next one stay tuned